in-depth journalism is more important than ever in a complicated, chaotic time. That's why we listen to NPR's Throughline. This is a podcast that appeals to us on so many levels. As history buffs, we love their historical contextualization of important ongoing issues. As storytellers, we love the engaging way they approach and often humanize complicated tales. As news consumers who want to stay informed, we love the way they give the story behind the big stories of the day. We try to take a similar approach on the murder sheet, and we feel confident that our listeners would enjoy giving NPR's Throughline a try. We've been going through their entire backlog recently, listening to them as we drive to source meetings. One favorite of mine was their episode about Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Throughline's coverage didn't disappoint, delving in depth into one of history's worst U.S. presidents. They also did an episode which is rather pertinent to our work, and that was the one they did about the proliferation of conspiracy theories and how they've always been part of America's DNA. That's something I think about quite a lot, given the creep of misinformation and manipulation in online true crime spaces. NPR's Throughline is a source we trust. They're all about nuance and depth and unpacking the messiness behind outwardly simple stories. Go back in time. Learn something new. Emerge more knowledgeable about today's headlines. Listen now to Throughline from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of murder, violence, and racism. There's an old quote you may have heard. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. How much of what we know about the Speedway, Indiana, Burgershev murders just ain't so? Probably quite a lot. Last week, we told you about one of those things. The sketch of the clean-shaven male suspect, which we have seen over and over again, simply cannot be relied upon. The witness who helped the police create it admitted to us that she intentionally gave them the wrong description. And there's more. Have you heard that Speedway was a pleasant little town, like something out of the Andy Griffith show? Well, that may have been true if you happened to be white. If you were a person of color, then things were very different. Have you read that the empty restaurant was discovered by an off-duty employee who stopped by to visit his friends? That's true, but it's not the whole story. A different teenager was the first to come across the deserted building. He may have perhaps become a fifth murder victim himself if he had arrived there even a few minutes earlier. This week, 
You'll hear a story you've never heard before as we speak with Kirk Thompson. Kirk was a close friend of Burger Chef victim Mark Flemons. Over the years, Kirk himself faced scrutiny from police investigators who suspected he might have known more about what happened than he wanted to admit. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we're The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. We're continuing the multi-part look into the Burger Chef murders we began last year. Each week, we will be presenting you with new information and context about what happened as part of our mini-series, You Never Can Forget. We don't just rely on what we've been told or what we've read. We have worked this case ourselves. We decided to do this podcast so we can tell you what we've learned and even clear up a few misconceptions. We're the murder sheet. And this is You Never Can Forget, The Friend. Can you start by telling us what your life was like in 1978 in Speedway? Man, my life was, I don't know, my life was crazy. Like, I want to say crazy. It was just I had to endure a lot of um, racism back in 1978. Um, I, I grew up in, in, a, in a black community. I went to... Um, all black schools um, until busing came. I was in that area where busing first started. They bust us out into the white communities to go to school. And, you know, it, it still wasn't that bad then. But, man, I never knew this side of racism until I moved to Indiana. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of racism there was in Speedway at that time? Well, yeah, man, this 78 was uh, the 70s were bad for me, you know. I'm originally from Norfolk, Virginia. And um, how we got out here was my father graduated from HBCU, which is a black university in um, Norfolk State, and he took a job out here in Indianapolis, and we moved out here, I believe, in 75. And we stayed on the south side out there in Southport for a while. And, and when you're the... The only um, black people out there, man, you, you, you take a hit. Back in the 70s, man, in Southport, um, I think um, when I went to school, I was the only black male in the school. And uh, a lot of racism, man, a lot of racism. Uh, thought we was going to get away from that when we moved over to Speedway, but nothing ever really changed, man. Nothing changed at all. In Speedway, though, Kirk soon became friends with Mark Flemons, 
who would later become one of the four victims in the Burgerchef murders. Though he didn't immediately realize it, the Flemings family lived in the same apartment complex as Kirk. We was how I met him. Um, you know, we went to school. Um, Speedway. I never knew he lived across the street from me because they never really came out that much. Um, but when I met him in school, it was it's always. Uh, a good thing when you see someone that looks like you and and you're, you're not the only one. So you automatically cling, you know, you, you automatically come together. Then I found out he lived in the same apartment that we were buddy-buddy. And, you know, he, he rode to school with us in the morning because uh, Speedway didn't have buses, so you had to either walk to school or catch a ride, you know. Um, and we was we was friends. Just good friends, always together, always. In, in terms of uh, his family, did you get to know any of the other Flemings kids or, or yes, parents? Yes, um, I knew I, he, had, he lived with two sisters. One name was Bonnie, I believe, and the other name was um, India. Um, I knew he had a brother. I seen him a couple of times, but he did live in the apartment. I just threw Mark and his two sisters there. We was all close, you know, because uh, we, I, we was outnumbered, you know. It was so uh, black people tend to stick together, move together when you're in those types of situations. What was the uh, apartment complex like? We lived in um, Big Eagle. It was, it wasn't that bad, but it was a few out there. We had a speedway cop with a jerk that stayed across the hall from us. But um, living in the complex wasn't that bad. It was just going to school, man. Going to school, dealing with it on a daily basis, bro. Do you remember the uh, the name of that, that officer? No, I don't. You say he was kind of a jerk. Can you kind of tell us what, what he did or what he was like? Well, you know, the, he, he, you know, when you, I guess when a police officer lives in a public complex, they kind of serve as security he was always out and about you know asking questions as we was hanging out and stuff you know just that type of person you know do you think he had any uh racist tendencies oh yeah speedway cops are known for that you know we was always told especially when i started driving man you know speedway cops that they were jerks anyway. I seen you pull over, you know, some friends that I had in school. But man, you, you definitely had to be on your P's and Q's when you driving the speedway. Those jerks pull you over for anything. Kirk soon came to know Mark well. We hung out. We did a lot of things. Um, Mark had some strict parents. Um, they were Jehovah Witnesses, so they had a whole different lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? And um, they, his dad was kind of strict on it. And, but, you know, we'd get out and we'd talk, play, you know, basketball or whatever. we walk to school together sometimes. we walk home together. You know, uh, Mark, you know, I remember when he got the job at Berkshire. I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to start working yet, but I always wanted to work there with him. 
You know, I knew I knew everybody that worked there. I was always in the place with them. Uh, did you know any of the other uh, uh, victims who who? Uh... I knew all of them. Oh wow! I knew all of them, Jane, Jane. Yeah, the Badlander. Oh yeah, that was my buddy. That was my buddy. And she promised me a job as soon as I was sixteen. Oh man, that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Wow. What was she? What was she like? She was. She. She ran a, a good store. You know, she ran a. She did her job. Um, she was always nice, and you know, I. I, I never knew her any other way. You know, I come in. Uh, are you looking for Mark? Aren't you? Yeah, he's back there somewhere. Yeah. I wave at him, talk to him. He had come up front with talk. You know, I get a discount on a burger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sit there and, you know, just hang out. Basically, we had a little teenager um, game slash dance over across from there in the Speedway Shopping Center called The Galaxy. And I used to go over there on Friday nights, maybe Saturday nights. And, um, but I, Mark never went over there with him. I don't think he was allowed to go and hang out with us. You know, we go over there, play video games, foosball and stuff, hang out, listen to music, dance, and stuff, you know. But Mark never, he never went over there with us. I don't think it was allowed. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's wild that you, did you, did you know Ruth and Danny as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I would come in and speak to them. They all knew me. They all thought that Mark and I were brothers. Oh, no. The school thought Mark and, Mark and I was brothers. See, I, see, that's what I'm, I'm saying, you know. There's only two of us in there, and they put us together as brothers. We were never brothers. But we was close friends. The galaxy. Uh, what was that like? Can you tell us a bit more about the atmosphere in there? Yeah, it was just a, a teenager hangout. Kids from high school. Everybody goes there, hang out, party. That's what we did back in the day. Uh, that was the disco area, air. You know, mm-hmm. um, we hung out there and uh, drank soda pops, eat potato chips, play games, listen to the music, dance, just have fun. Great place to meet your friends and just hang out, you know. I love disco, so that sounds pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was a disco era, yeah. You know, so yeah, we we that was our hangout every weekend. That was our hangout, man. What kind of? I mean, I'm just more curious now because I love disco. What kind of um songs would they play? Oh, they played all the '70s songs, man. Oh, that disco was popular. We, I loved it. I loved it. You know, uh, you have to, you have a whole mixture of kids, white, black, everybody in there just having a good time. Yeah, you never had any problem. You know, you always had a police officer out there. And I think if the admission was like $2 to get in on Friday nights and stuff. You know, when the DJ come and he play music and everybody just party. Over the years, people have spread different stories and rumors about Mark. We asked Kirk about one of the biggest ones. In terms of, you know, and, and to be very clear, we're asking this just because there's been so many rumors over the years. We're not we're not judging Mark in any way. Um, right. But did you know him to ever use or, or, or sell drugs at all? I never knew Mark 
to be a user or a sell. If Mark was doing drugs, I knew nothing of it. Maybe he kept that part from me, which was cool. I never knew him to do that. We just hung out. We we go to school together, walk home, walk to school, especially in the, on the nice days or something. You know, the walk wasn't that bad. Some days I did have to walk, but a lot of days my mom took us to school. They'd come over in the house, hang out in the bedroom. You know, we talk, listen to music, watch TV, watch the football games or something. But, um, you know, I noticed one day me and a couple other friends, we out in the apartments, we tossing the football, and this um, white guy came up in this old car, old white car, I don't know if he did it, and it was asking for Mark. You know what, Mark, I thought it was one of Mark's buddies. I'm like, man, he probably up at the house, you know, stay in that building over there, go holler at him. You know, he never did. He just took off. I thought that was strange. I told the officers that, too. You know, they try to get, but did you get a license plate? No, no. I wasn't thinking like that, man. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking like that. If if he was into anything of that nature, he definitely kept it away from me. It was, it was, so it was an older white dude? Yeah, yeah. Hippie-like dude, you know, was looking for him. One topic that kept coming up again and again in our talk with Kirk was how difficult it was to be a young man of color in the Speedway, Indiana of 1978. Like I told you, Speedway wasn't it for me, you know? It wasn't it, man. Those those guys was, they was ruthless, man. As far as I'm concerned. Like like with bullying? Yeah, big time, big time, man. Big time bullying. That school was, I, I never liked Speedway. I, I've always tried to get my parents to let me go to Ben Davis, man, but they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. I like, didn't like anything about Speedway. Why wouldn't they let you go to Ben Davis? I don't know. They, I, I guess they wouldn't, they didn't want to take me up there. You know, I, you know, for years, and I, I often wonder, you know, I, I, you know, my father is, is, is passed away now, and I often sit back and, and try to think, why do we go this route? Why do we go to these schools? Why do we live in these neighborhoods? And, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he wanted us to, you know, have a better life, man, but. When we was in those schools, man, it was it was terrible. Man, we got treated like trash. That's and that's putting it lightly. That's putting it lightly, man. I always say, man, if I ever get a chance to tell my story, man, Speedway High School sucks. I don't know if it's changed or not now, but it was it was awful, man. It was awful. You know, it, it, it was just bad, man. It was just bad. Every day at school, you bully, you call the niggas, and all of this and that, you know. You know, they, I mean, and they got their little groups, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, man. You know, you go to the lunchroom, sit by yourself, or you maybe, I had a friend there. We had, we did have a good friend there. His name was Steve Cater. We're good friends on Facebook now. 
We all sit at the lunch table together. We, man, we sit at the same table, the same seat every day. They won't no vision around, try to sit somewhere else. No, they won't have that. They wasn't having that. Me and Mark sit there at lunch, and we'll talk to Steve Catra. I'm I'm sorry you had to. I mean, I'm sorry you went through all this, and it's like you know, and he was you know he was your friend throughout all that, and then losing him oh, was yeah. been awful. Yeah, it was it was it was a mess over there, man. I, I never liked it, man. I always stayed in trouble, man, and I was always the bad guy. You know, I was always the bad guy. It sounds horrible. Yeah, but you know, no one knew, you know, what we go through. They don't know what, you know, the, the things people say to you to make you respond or to, to react. You know what I'm saying? And um, you know, I had a sister there, so you know, she got it too. I had to protect her. You know, so you know, it was, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. I look back on the day, man. I tell you, I would never put my kids through that. But times have changed. In in terms of um, Mark, you know, going through like a a, a, what sounds like an awful environment like that, did he ever get into any fights with people, or was, you know, how did sort of he navigate that? You know, I I never knew Mark to get in any fights. Uh, You know, they. They would they would say things amongst themselves. They wouldn't really put it out there. Mark was probably about six feet tall back then, you know. And uh, you know, they might have been a little bit intimidated, but I heard the talk. You know, um but don't get me wrong, there was a lot of them that loved Mark. Mark had that type of personality. Yeah, from from people we talked to, he sounds like a fun guy, like a nice guy. Great guy, man. Great guy, man. He didn't deserve what happened to him. None of them did. Mysteries are at the heart of everything we do here on The Murder Sheet. But sometimes it's more fun to dive into a fictional caper. That's why we love the free-to-download hidden object game June's Journey. This game is our daily escape from waiting around in line, getting stuck on hold, and just general doldrums. It is great to be able to just knock out a few levels here and there. You'll get to discover your inner sleuth and sharpen your observational skills by finding clues hidden in each level. Plus, it's like dropping straight into your own cozy mystery novel. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective with a nose for trouble. You get to tackle all kinds of bizarre crimes across a series of elegant and memorable locales. Also, you have a side hustle decorating your own island estate. I love that. I bought a swan pond. She really did. Download this game for a built-in work break. It's a great mental health boost that makes you feel accomplished before you get back to tackling whatever task you have at hand. And remember, when you support our advertisers, you're supporting our show. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Kirk still has clear memories of November 17, 1978, the night the four Burgershev employees would go missing and be murdered. In terms of um, the night that the, the disappearances happened, and of course, you know, it turned out to be murders later on. Um, what do you remember about that sort of day and your interactions with Mark from that, that day? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, that day we were together. Now, I wanted to go to the galaxy and hang out. And my father wouldn't let me walk by myself over there. He didn't want me to walk home by myself. So I asked Mark, I said, man, what time you get off? He said, I get off at 12. I said, okay, cool, man. So, um... I'll meet you and we'll walk home together. That's the only way I can go to the galaxy. Because I don't think he had to work that night. And um, he went on in to work anyway for somebody. Mark was filling in that night for his co-worker, Ginger, who had asked him to trade shifts with her so she could go out with her friend Brian. Did uh, Mark mention that uh, he was swapping in for Ginger? Or did he just say they randomly called him? Well, I remember him, somebody called in. I didn't know it was Ginger at the time, but he's filling in for somebody. And to me, that was a way for Mark to just get out the house. Because, you know, like I said, his parents was, um, she held a witness, and they was, they was kind of strict on him. You know, his father was hard on him. Did he talk about that, or was that just something you kind of got the got the sense? Yeah, we, we talked about that, and then as his sisters confirming, you know, they, they really couldn't do a whole lot. They, you know, he had to be in the house, and you know, things like that. They, you know, they they lived that lifestyle. There's been quite a bit of talk claiming that Mark seemed upset as he went to work that night. Some people have even gone so far as to speculate that his unhappiness meant he had some sort of advanced knowledge that something terrible would occur at the Burger Chef that evening. His mood was cool. He was like, man, I'm going to go in here and make this money. You know, they called me in, man. He said, but um, yeah, just come on over, man. We'll walk home together. That, may, that way I ain't got to walk home by myself either because, you know, man, back then, man, like I said, man, Two black kids walking down the street in Speedway. That was never good, man. Never good. At midnight, that was never good. So yo, yo, the best thing was to do was to hurry up and get home. And, you know, we was all happy-go-lucky. I went in there. We sat down, ate, talked, talked to Jane, talked to everybody that day. 
never knew what was about to happen. Kirk went on to the nightclub for his evening of fun. And so, you know, I'm in the galaxy. I'm having a good time. And you know how you look out the window. I could see the, the restaurant clear as day across the street. And you could see people in there. And, uh, you know, that's when the restaurant didn't close the 12. The doors was always open, you know. And um, I said, well, okay. I look at my watch, 1130. I got 30 minutes. So I'm just playing video games and stuff. And um, got to watch my watch. I said, well, let me go look out the window again. I still see cars in the parking lot. Ain't nobody left. So I said, okay, I'm going to go in here and tell my buddy I'm going to get ready to go. By that time, my favorite song came on. I'm like, oh, man, let me get a quick dance in before I leave here. So after the dance, I come out. I see the cars. And I didn't see nobody, but I saw the cars. I said, well, maybe in the back or something, you know. So I walk across the parking lot, get up to the door. I knock on the door. Any other time, they would let me in, you know, because they know me. No, no one, no one. I'm like, man, what are they doing? I'm just banging on the door. I'm looking around. I still see the cars. Everybody's cars. I'm like, where the hell are they at? So I said, man, I'm going to just go ahead on and walk home. So we had a little path that runs behind the building, which you have to cross over the railroad tracks and just walk through and go on Cunningham and just go right over into Big Eagle Park. So I saw the back door open. I said, well, maybe it was taking out the trash or something. So I went to the door. I didn't hear a damn thing. I said, they're trying to scare me. So I stood back. I just kept hollering names. Nobody ever come. I said, shit, I ain't going in there. They're going to try to scare the hell out of me. So I just said, I'll get them tomorrow. I ain't worried about it. So I walked on home. So in the meantime, as I was walking home, I saw a Speedway cop had pulled somebody over on 21st Street, which was right there at Cunningham and 21st, I believe, is the intersection. And so I didn't pay no attention. I looked and I kept on going down. So I went on home and got in the bed. You know, I'm glad my father did Mark walk with you. I said, he was asleep, so I just got on in the bed. So, hell, early that morning, we stayed on the first floor, so you can knock on the window. Our bedroom window was like ground level. And his sister knocked on the window and said, Kurt, is Mark over here with you? Did he spend the night with y'all? I said, no. But I tell you, when you when we're here, because he was supposed to walk home with me last night. And she said, Burger King, Burger Chef got robbed, and they missing. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, no. So I get dressed. And I go up there, and sure as shit, it's all kind of detectives, state police, speedway cops, everybody up there, you know? I'm like, man, then they want to question me. Man, I went through a lot of questions, a lot of questions. Do you remember what any of those uh, questions were? You know, what was the last time you saw them? Okay, when you walked home, what was it like? You know, I told them I saw that. They confirmed that the car was stopped. You know, they tried to tell me it was a different car that was stopped, but I told them what kind of car it was and everything. And, you know, I'm telling them, man, I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. I was there. I, I was maybe 30 minutes or less 
from being with them. Because when I looked out that window, I saw people in the building, in the restaurant. And I went back to do my last little dancing song, and I come back, they were gone. They were gone. And, and I talked to detectives. They even gave me a lie detector test, man. Why did they give you a lie detector test? I don't know, man. Maybe I was afraid they were trying to put me in that shit. I don't know. I, like, I don't know, man. They, yeah, they gave me a lie detector test and everything. Was there anything that they, they didn't ask you that you, like, or that, that didn't come up that you think would have been important or did they kind of just go through everything with you? Well, you know, after the initial interview and everything, they, you know, just, you know, asked me a lot of questions and stuff. Um, I actually moved out of town. I went back to Virginia where I'm from and some kind of way um, they reopened the case and the detectives came to my job in Virginia and started questioning me again. Um, they was worried about if Mark and Jane had something going on. Or, man, I didn't know. That was the last thing on my mind. You know, they came on my job when I was at Fisher. They were just, they were just giving me the third degree. Do you remember? But I was probably was the closest one there. You know, I don't know how no one saw anything at Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, of course, was right next door to the Burger Chef. In fact, the two restaurants shared a parking lot. Yeah, it's pretty baffling because that was open 24 hours that they know. Yeah, it, you know. yeah, yeah. And people was always in Dunkin' Donuts. Do you happen to remember the name of the detective who, or it, it was it one detective that kind of kept coming over to you, or was it a different guy? It was one detective, him and his buddy, and they always wanted to record me. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't record me. You know, I'll talk, but don't record me. You can make those things say anything you want them to say. You know, I, I didn't go for that one. And, you know, but we'll sit down there and talk for hours. And they just keep asking me same questions over and over and just going from one scenario to the other, you know? I'm curious. I wanted to go back to, to actually, no, I want to ask you one kind of stupid question. What was the favorite song that you, uh, that they played that night? You know, I can't remember, but it was a new song out at that time. And man, I just loved that song. And you can just go up there and just dance freely, man. That's what I did. I can't think of the name of that song to save my life, but that song probably saved my life. I was going to say it probably did. Yeah. I mean, I guess if, I mean, obviously we're just speculating here, but if you had right. to sort of like speculate about what happened and why, what, what, what are sort of theories that have come to your mind over the years? Man, you know, I sit down and, uh, and I think, and I think, and I think, and, 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 you know, I I really don't know. Um, knowing what I know today, how they just totally botched this whole case up. You know, I believe it might have been someone they knew. Or somebody that worked there knew. And they didn't want to be known. I, you know, 
my thing is, you know, they uh they took him out of the store, and I'm like, why did I know Mark? Mark would put up a fight. Mark was he was strong, man. He could run. You know what I'm saying? He was athletic. You know, I'm like, man, how did they just not? just start running or something, you know, once they can. I wouldn't have got in no car with nobody. Or van. They'd have had to shoot me. They'd have shot me in the back or whatever, but I would have been hit. Yeah, that's the one thing that's so weird about this is that there are four of them. How, where was the struggle? You know, and, you know, and the whole time, you know, you just sit back, you watch it on the news and everything, they still haven't found them. They still haven't found them, but and I had a dream that they were found, and I was just like, man, what happened, man, you know? And the damn next day, they found, they were found, man. It just broke my heart. Broke my heart, man. That was the only friend I had out there. The only friend, the real friend I had in the school. You know? It just tore me apart. Tore me apart, man. I, I, I had a hard time getting over that one. I didn't even go to nobody's funeral, you know. At that time, you know, that was creepy stuff to me. I couldn't take it, you know. I really couldn't take it. And, you know, and then, you know, once it all happened, man, you know, it was just a bad day. I didn't want to go to school, but my mother was like, just go ahead on and go, you know. And everybody was giving me all these cards and stuff, you know sorry about your brother and I'm like oh my goodness it was just an awful day that that whole thing was just a bad moment in my life my parents was they was actually scared afraid for me they didn't they really kept a close eye on me then you know they didn't want me talking to no more TV cameras or nothing they didn't want they shut all of that down I did a, uh, a broadcast one day. I was back up there just to try to find out that they find anybody, and I end up doing a, a interview in some kind of way. They put it out quick. My mom called that station, told me they better not put nothing else out. Yeah, man, it was it was it was pretty hairy there for a while. You know, my parents was they didn't let us go nowhere. You know, we go to school and come home. That's it. Then, you know, once everything died down, then, you know, we was able to, you know, hang out and stuff. But we had a curfew. It was like 12 o'clock. You know, we didn't like that, but at least we did get to hang out for a little while, you know. I'm sure you noticed that Kirk mentioned a pretty interesting detail. When he was on his way home from the burger chef around midnight on the night of the murders he passed by a police car that had pulled someone over. That incident, and the man in that car, has intrigued students of this case for years. We told you about it last year, and you never can forget the others. A short distance from the burger chef, around the time the four victims were being abducted, A police officer saw a car driving erratically and pulled it over. The driver somehow managed to throw a loaded 38 caliber revolver out the car window without the officer noticing. Who was this man? And what was he doing with a loaded weapon 
so close to the burger chef at the time of the crime. We have looked for him for years and recently managed to get his phone number. Before calling him, we decided to brainstorm how to handle the conversation. Kevin first got this man's real name from the late Donovan Lindsay, an Indiana State Police investigator who worked this case for years. The driver respected Lindsay, and so we figured we'd mention that Kevin had known him. We also considered how we'd sound to this man, two late-night callers bugging him about his connection to a decades-old cold case. We didn't want to be accusatory, so we decided to convey that we thought of him not as a suspect, but as a witness who may have seen something important. With all of that in mind, we gave him a call. Hello. Hi there. My name is Anya Kane. I'm calling with my husband, Kevin Greenlee. Uh, we were hoping to speak to you about the Burger Chef case. Donovan told us that you were sort of a witness that night, and we were curious. No, to- I, was a su- I was a suspect. Oh, really? Can you tell us about that? Who are you now? We will have much more on that next week. We would like to thank Kirk Thompson for speaking with us and for sharing his memories of his friend, Mark Flemons. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on the Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.